Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always and forever with someone who came Choo-choo. to me this morning, and he said, oh. "Not unlike Jerry Blank from Strangers with Candy," he said. <laughs> So, Jason, you said to me, I've got a whole lot of things to say in today's intro. So, I'm going to just stop talking and I'm going to hand the All floor right. to you because apparently right. you gotta, you got you to gotta lay it down. I do. I do. There's a, there's a lot of business to be covering here. Mm. And so, what, what day of the week are we here, Joshua? We are June 28th? Sure. So 17, 16, 15, 29. Wednesday is the 29th. As we sit here <laughs> on June 29th, mm-hmm. the day this episode is dropping, mm-hmm. there has been some good news to share in the whiskey world and, and beyond. Yeah, and, and I'll get to the beyond a little bit later, but... You realize got, this is a One Nation Under Whiskey episode, not know, Extra Extra. I know, I know, right? I know, I know, I know. And so these these are more kind of personal notes ah. from within the whiskey world. Okay, yep. So I received a press release from Catoctin Creek Distilling Company. All right. Obviously, Scott and Becky Harris and their team. And the title was... Scott and Becky Harris receive Discus Dave Pickerel Memorial Craft Member of the Year Award. Catoctin Creek Distillery owners recognised as industry leaders by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States and fellow craft distillery members at annual conference. One of the key things key elements about this award Mm -hmm. is it's for leadership and through the pandemic Mm -hmm. through the tariffs Mm -hmm. through the tax news if you still remember when craft distillers were facing you know i don't don't remember the exact number but an insane tax hike on their products if i'm not mistaken oh frightening 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 numbers Yeah, yeah At all times, Scott and Becky Harris have been at the forefront. And so to see this award for them, uh, to see good people and the right people being (laughs) acknowledged just made me so incredibly happy. And I I texted uh, Scott right away Mm -hmm. and I said, listen, sincere congratulations to you, Becky, the team, to Catoctin Creek. For, for what you've achieved here. And he, he wrote back and said, hey, thanks, thanks so much. But it just such a nice pair of human beings, you know, who do such wonderful work with distillation mm-hmm. and beyond. They are they're the whole enterprise. They are the, the whole enchilada. I, I really love them dearly. That's amazing. You know, you were calling them good people. And as you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, isn't it nice when good things happen to good people. Oh, 100%. Right. 100%. Ah, Especially because yep. it was 
through such a trying time, yeah. right? It was yeah. the beginning of the pandemic when they were shutting down. They were moving over to hand sanitizer. Mm. Even actually talking about tax, when the tax bill came in to distilleries who had shifted to producing hand sanitizer, mm-hmm. it was actually Becky Harris who led the charge for that yeah. tax yep. to be expunged. And she succeeded and saved distilleries hundreds of thousands of dollars when they got a tax bill for shifting to production of hand sanitizer in the start of a pandemic. (laughs) She shouldn't have had to have made that fight. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But boy, if she didn't pull it off really well, really well. So, See, isn't isn't it amazing the power that, people can have even you know small producers like like scott and becky harris at catoctin creek when they raise their voices and they do it in the right way it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing and, you know that and a bit of stick-to-itiveness you know just mm-hmm. keep on harping on it keep on being the squeaky wheel not just for themselves but you know for everyone else in the industry and that was the aspect I was about to mention yeah. there is not just for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Like they really see themselves as members of this craft distilling movement. Mm-hmm. And and they do. They they do diligent work on behalf of others. It's yeah, it's really brilliant. Such such good people. So so there you go. So I, I don't want to belabor the point. I did want to celebrate it though, and I did want to make our our one Nation Under Whiskey listeners aware. You know, and I know in this year we've been talking a lot about our own Catoctin Creek project mm-hmm. with them. And actually in the last episode we had Ian McAllister tasting it with us and saying <laughs> uh, magnificent things at Glen Scotia. Absolutely yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so yeah. exciting. Speaking oh. of Ian McAllister yeah. at Glen Scotia, uh-huh. I, was, I was having a meeting with Jess uh, and this was after the episode dropped. Mm. And I, and I said to Jess, you know, that's that's our first interview together out in the world. Mm-hmm. I, I hope you felt like you had space to speak and space to ask questions. Sure. And and I didn't just step over all of Because yeah, you could take up a lot of space, Jason. Let's be, let's be very honest about that. I feel like when, it, when you spend years <laughs> recording with Joshua Hatton, you really get into the habit of fighting for every second <laughs> your voice gets heard. And Jess gave me the floor, and that, I'm not used to that at all. So, <laughs> so in, in talking to her, I said, look, I, I just hope you feel like you had space there. And, and she said something brilliant, and I said, look, can I share that? with One Nation Under Whiskey. And she said, yeah, go ahead. She, she, she said something brilliant. So you know how we're always talking about recording these interviews in such a way mm. that our listeners feel like a fly on the wall yeah. and they feel like they're just seeing a very real conversation happening. Jess's comment from being such a wonderful supporter of the podcast and, and listening to every episode and every interview... She said, when I was sitting at that table with you and Ian, I felt like I was getting an up-close and personal experience in an interview being recorded. Yeah. And I had to remind myself 
I'm an active participant in this. <laughs> they can hear me if I speak out loud. Uh-huh. And I and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, we've spent all this time making it a successful fly on the wall yeah. style of interviewing. Yeah. That when somebody gets brought in from that world, they go, no, just just keep talking. I'm listening. I'm enjoying this. Yeah, yeah. Keep keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> It's not brilliant. So I was this this past Monday. Uh, I was at the New York Indie Spirits Expo, Dave Schmier's event. Dave Schmier from Proof and Wood, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> it was a great show, busy show. And there were a few times where you know, behind the table, I'm, I'm, I've got. Kill Homan and Glenn Alecky and you know a few other bits and bobs on the table are Namurkin. And there's these times when I'm talking about the whiskey and I see people in you know what listening to me speak, watching me speak with this odd smile on their face. <laughs> and then when I'm done, they and this happened a few times, they would say, It is so strange to be near you in hearing your voice and not driving down the road in hearing mm-hmm. your voice or, mm-hmm. you know, in my office hearing your voice. This is strange. <laughs> and I, I would say that happened maybe four or five times at least some That's some remarkable. version of that conversation. So uh, so Jess was not alone, <laughs> except she got to be part of a, an interview as well, which was, which was great. And I thought... Just listening back and having edited the that conversation, of which there wasn't much to edit, but just listening back and, and hearing some of her insight and some of her questions, I thought that they were brilliant. <laughs> and I am personally looking forward to her getting out on the road a bit more and doing some oh, interviewing yes. of her own. Yes. Because I, I think oh, she's yeah. a natural. I think she's a natural. And that's crystal clear with Jess. You know, you, you spend time with her, and this is what we're saying about traveling around together. You know, as we're sitting there having various business meetings, she knows whiskey inside out and back oh, to yeah. front. Yeah. And it's it's so cool listening to another perspective. You know, you and I have experienced one another's perspective for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say it's getting old, but, you know, I've, I, feel like, I feel like you can fill in my gaps, I yeah. can fill in your gaps. Go so was the gap with you, Joshua. <laughs> I, I, I saw your eyes light up. I saw yeah. your eyes. Yeah. And so it's nice to not know what question mm-hmm. Jess was about to ask. It, it was not, I honestly, I'm not saying that in a mean spirited way. I know you're kind of chuckling over well, that. Well, I, I just, this, I feel but. as if you're, you're saying that a relationship <laughs> has gotten a bit missionary over the years. Is that, is that what you're trying to say? Not in the slightest. No. no, I just, I know when you like to be slapped. I know when you like to be tickled. Like, I just, I'm not going to say it's missionary. I'm just saying, you know, I, I just know your moves at this point and you know my moves. Yeah. Oh, That's do fine, I? That's fine, Joshua. Yeah. That's fine. You know, I think we're still very much in love. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not looking to find another partner. We're all good. Don't worry. So, wasn't that fun? Wasn't that a fun comment? So, yeah, yeah, really. Really like that. Okay, next point of business. Moving along here. We, sir, have concluded our woodcut series. So you you really have a lot to say. I feel... So let me just say this really quickly. I feel as if 
you're hijacking my podcast. <laughs> oh, your podcast. Okay. Okay. <laughs> By front loading okay. our news section. I'm not going to get into the uh, Thrustwood cut series in the news segment. I'm going to pop it right here and we're going to skip right past the news. So, i got other things to be doing in this episode, Joshua. I've got a full production sheet in front of me. I'll just say it here. I'll say it now. This doesn't feel as missionary as usual. So, well done, you. <laughs> <laughs> this is what they call mixing it up, my friend. No, no listen, listen, listen. If it was the news, yeah. I feel like we'd be talking about the the launch of it or we'd be talking about the impending arrival of it, right? Mm. For, for me, that's the news. The reason I want to bring this up now in the intro is because this is about the nation and this is about the support of the nation. Mm-hmm. The fact that we could tease a wet bunghole to the nation. (laughs) These are all technical industry terms. Uh Uh-huh. They are. They 100% are. No, I'd like you to continue, please, because I'm almost there. (laughs) And the fact we've got a bung extractor positioned at just uh, a slight angle to the wet bunghole. It's nearing the rim, really. It is. You're you're exactly right. So you're exactly right. The fact that we had said, here comes the end of this series, mm-hmm. started in 2019. The fact we could say, here comes our first cask from this distillery. We could say, this is the first time a Diageo distillery has been in the woodcut series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the way you looked to the sky there, I was like, oh no, I've been saying that all <laughs> <laughs> For the whole launch, I've been saying that. Have I not, have I missed one? Was Imperial? What but can, I did. I went I went through the three, right? I went through the three, like Bullmore. Okay, definitely not Diageo. Imperial. Yeah, no, that, that wasn't. That well, I, I was trying to even think, you know, historically. Okay, was there a point in time when Diageo or previously United Distillers had owned Imperial, right? So, <laughs> and then yeah. a South Shore... Uh, unnamed Isla that that you know you get a bit of mileage from laughing frog with. Um, nope, nope, not Diageo. Um, spoiler, spoiler alert! That was not a lag of woolen bottling nope, that we did. It was not. Um, and so, so yeah, just just the fact that we could we could just tease out some of those details. There's no label photo. There's no photo of the liquid itself. Mm-hmm. We did post our tasting notes. We did do a tasting video. Yep. And so that's a bit of information. But the fact that the nation would trust us to the degree that they did for the release of a 26-year-old single cask of a thrust Mm. has meant the world to me. Uh, And and I I just wanted to give major kudos to the nation. And obviously this is a US release and we're talking about the US online nation here. Mm -hmm. But... What a support. What what a phenomenal support. And it it just makes me incredibly happy. And I, I turned to my 15-year-old my yesterday. We were driving uh, on an errand. And I said, I'm in an incredibly good mood today. <laughs> and being 15, he looked at me and he said, are you being sarcastic? 
And I looked at him and I said, are you being sarcastic? (laughs) How dare you, you little shit? Like, I'm having a good day. (laughs) So anyway. Yeah, it really is something, right? There's, you've got this distillery that few people know. And if they know it, they likely can't pronounce it properly. I'm not even certain that we're pronouncing it properly. We're just going by what Michael Jackson, uh, the beer writer, not the singer, once said. Said it's a thrysk. Okay. So you have this distillery that no one's heard of, and if they have, they can't pronounce it. There's no label. There's just that one picture, and people are trusting in us. It really is mm-hmm. nice, and I, I feel honored, and what's the word I'm trying to think of? I'm going to try to use Nefarious. the right word this time. What's that? Nefarious? No, no it's not. <laughs> it's not nefarious. I feel, there's a bit of... I don't. I can't think of the word, but it's kind of like a responsibility, right? Like going into this, mm-hmm. I felt as if we have. Well, we have mm-hmm. always had a responsibility to bottle what we think is the best stuff that we can find. Mm-hmm. But we rarely, rarely do that on a pre-sale, right? The the product's mm-hmm. usually in our warehouse, mm-hmm. and the fact that people are have followed us this long and trust us, trust our selections. Right, it just shows how important that responsibility is to ensure we're bottling only the stuff we think is worthy of the single cast nation label. Yeah, I agreed wholeheartedly. One of the th- aspects for me with the pre-sale, the pre-sale, the pre-launch is, I feel like those who have purchased this bottle, they're already in the nation, mm-hmm. and now they've entered into another little private club within the nation and we're doing videos just for them and we're releasing photos just for them Mm -hmm. like they will also be released later to everybody in the nation we we do respect the entire nation but as we are going through the processes of putting this project together Mm -hmm. we've got a little band coming with us a little trusting band who we get to say hey you when you trusted us in June, check this out. Have a look at this over here. Here's a little conversation to be had. I, I just think that's another, such a fun little wrinkle that, as you rightly say a moment ago, yeah. we don't always get to engage in, right? You know, the thing we talk about with Elijah and with Jess constantly mm-hmm. is there's so much hurry up and wait in this industry. Yeah. And there's so much wait, 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 hurry up in this industry as well and so we so we don't always get to give every cask its due we Mm -hmm, don't mm -hmm. always get to celebrate it and here we are closing out a woodcut series with a celebration will we at any point in time you know to those that have bought into the pre-sell issue more wet bunghole pictures or is it just going to be the one wet bunghole picture i think it's the one I think I think the follow up will be ahead, um, yeah. and then a follow up will be you know maybe some some filled bottles. Oh, okay. You know maybe we'll show them being filled. Oh, okay. Maybe we'll yeah we'll show them empty and then we'll sh- maybe yeah, maybe a up. video of Ooh. of some bottles okay. being filled. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be fun. So let me. I know I've I know I've commandeered our, our intro here, but as we're talking celebration here with the end of the woodcut, 
I'm going to bring up one more piece of good news. And this comes from today's subject. All right. So you and I mm-hmm. subscribe to Jerry Duggan's Substack. Oh, 100%. Yes. And, and of course, Jerry Duggan is our man of the day. And so Jerry Duggan, and again, in, in early June, sent out a Substack with the title, Some Good News. <laughs> and then, and then his, his subheading is, I'm not known for splashing sunshine around, so just take it. Which <laughs> is, when our listeners you know, listen to today's interview, like, I think that tone will come screaming through 100%, the radio. 100%. Oh, he has such a way with words. Anyway, continue. <laughs> so, so a, a bit like the press release that I that we covered from uh, Catoctin Creek here. I'm just going to give you a few sentences here. And so Jerry writes, "When I came to Los Angeles in 1998, one of my goals was to join the Writers Guild of America." Mm-hmm. He goes on later on. He writes this paragraph. Okay. I've made a good living providing writing services for almost a quarter century. And even though I was nominated for a WGA award and even wrote a few of their awards shows, Mm -hmm. I did that as one of the WGA's little Lebowski Jr. achievers. (sighs) And proud we are of all of them. (laughs) However, I was never a full permanent member until I received this email. Thank you for sending in the contract, Jerry. I am pleased to inform you that your writing services of a first draft screenplay appear to make you eligible for full current membership with the Writers Guild of America West. Congratulations. Whoa, that's awesome. Something he has wanted since 1998. Oh, man. Came to fruition in 2022 just as we were interviewing him for One Nation Under Whiskey. I just want to personally say, Jerry, you're welcome. (laughs) I'm glad Joshua and I could help you achieve this. Where would Jerry be without us? I mean, think about it. He's been plugging away for 25 years. He finally finally speaks to us, and now he's recognized. (laughs) The the reason that we're making this point, and, and certainly making this joke... It's the number of times Joshua and I <laughs> will text. You know exactly what yes, I'm going to say. We will text one another and say, did you hear so-and-so left such and such a place? Uh-huh. Invariably, within three months of us interviewing them on One Nation Under Whiskey. Yeah. You know, yeah, we've been doing this. For, you know, We're now in our sixth season. You could go back to, you know... 2018 and say, oh, look at that person. Like, oh, well, they're no longer with their gig. It's the fact it invariably happens within three months of us speaking with them. Do, do you want to do you want to know the latest? Sure. You do. You already know the latest. I'm sharing the latest with the listeners. <laughs> so we interviewed Skinny Roberts. Ah, uh, yeah. When he yeah. was with Black Raven Brewing, and mm-hmm. we had a great chat with him about beer production and yeah. and even kind of beer finishing and beer cask projects. He is now with Copperworks. Amazing. Yep, yep, that's some fresh information. You know, I, I was doing, uh, it's so funny when you mentioned the Jerry Duggan thing and, and how we were able to, 
to make him a full, you know, fledged member of the Writers Guild. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was Indeed thinking. We did. I was thinking back to a fellow comic writer of Jerry Duggan, uh, Mr. Garth Ennis. If you remember, mm. we interviewed him about three years ago, and oh, four <laughs> four years ago, four years ago now. And but here's the thing. He's had two hit shows since. He's had Preacher, and now he's got the boys on Amazon. Right? I tell you, man. He worked his ass off just to get people to notice his comic books. He talks to us. Now he's got two hit series on his hands. Two of them. I tell you, Judge Dredd was barely known globally before he spoke to us. Yeah. Barely. Barely. Barely known globally. Yep. It was barely a global sensation. Uh, with a Sylvester Stallone movie under its belt before he spoke to us. Followed by a Carl Urban movie with the lady from uh, from uh, 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 Game of Thrones, Cersei, which was the much better Judge Dredd film. Come on, that Stallone Judge Dredd film was you, not you know, good. I, I, have a, I have a sense that Jerry Duggan's version of Deadpool in the comic books became the inspiration for the Ryan Reynolds movies mm-hmm. because Hollywood knew Jerry was going to be on One Nation Under Whiskey in the future. Oh, yeah. All joking aside, <laughs> just so we're clear, because I know sarcasm doesn't work over text. I hope it works over pad cost, and I hope our listeners know enough about us. But if we're if we are attracting Jerry Duggan fans to this episode, I want to be crystal clear this is a huge honor and a huge treat. And I loved, loved, loved speaking with Jerry Duggan. Oh. And I told my kids and I told my neighbors and I told anybody who knows anything about Deadpool and anybody who knows anything about X-Men. I was telling people in the grocery store, I, this, is, this is huge and I'm over the moon. You and me both, sir. It's really exciting. So listen, we're going to hand it over to our to our conversation with Jerry. I just want to let our listeners know there've been a few times where we've had a guest on and it felt as if we were two guys on a bull in a rodeo <laughs> and they just opened the gate and we just had to had to ride and hang on for dear life. That's what this was like. It he was like riding a wild Bull, and it was fantastic. Uh, I consider this the fire hose style of interviewing, where you spit out a sentence and then (laughs) the hose explodes. Oh, I thought that's like when you're at a urinal and you don't use any hands. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. It's called the fire hose. Interesting. That explains why you're watching me the way I, you were while I was saying those words. <laughs> we should cut three quarters of this and get to the interview. <laughs> Jerry Duggan, thank you so much for joining us. It was, I tell you, you know, for just for our listeners' sake, we Jason and I we were in California, and we were meant to be getting together with a with a couple of people to have some drinks, and we had no idea who the people were. 
and and we're sitting down and there's the, you know there's this uh, little sideboard there and everybody's brought the bottles and they put the bottles on the sideboard and at that time ev- everybody who i thought was going to be there had shown up and then <laughs> from the bushes comes this this bearded hello uh, through through the bushes, and and it's you, it's Jerry Duggan, and uh, I like I like to make an entrance. In LA, you can actually buy a bearded hello in the bushes. <laughs> That's right. It's <laughs> it's uh, it's it's uh, come out to the coast and have a few laughs. Uh, no, uh, yeah, we're uh, we were on our uh, our mutual friend Rob's patio. He's a, a really talented editor who uh, actually edited that uh, a, a film about um, Brook Body. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. nice the the whiskey worlds begin to overlap a little bit. Uh, I'm a fan of what you guys do, and uh, you know what's funny is uh, I traveled as a young kid uh, to Scotland before I was even drinking whiskey right out of uh, hmm. college, and oh, nice. uh, I have not been back since. So uh, I'll have a lot to look <laughs> forward to someday when I do make my uh, sojourn. Hopefully we didn't treat you too poorly when you were there that you had no reason to return. No, no, no. I'm, uh, I'm excited. You know, I've met uh, so many uh, interesting friends through um, my appreciation of whiskey. It's similar in comic books. Uh, you know, not everyone is a hardcore comic fan. Not everyone is a hardcore whiskey fan. But when you find uh, your tribe, you know, it's easy to uh, to make friends with, uh, with everyone with similar interests. And you know, it's a really a global uh, phenomenon now. So, well, it's community, yeah. right? It's reason for community. It's it's a way to start a conversation, and then you see where that conversation takes you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as a, I'm still curious about this trip to Scotland. You you moved beyond it very quickly. I feel like you're hiding a <laughs> a, a body somewhere here. Uh, so we're going to get to the heart of this, Jerry. Um, did did you? Did you explore any whiskey there? Was that the beginning of a love affair um, Actually, for you with whiskey? Or I didn't. had nothing to do with the trip? Yeah, you know what? Um, I, I, um, I took a backpacking trip um, through Ireland, uh, a little bit of uh, Scotland and England, and then I got to the continent uh, just to check out Amsterdam. It was done really on the cheap, but I was alone most of the time but i had a crash pad in london so i took a train and went i made it all the way to Thurshow, all the way up north so oh I, wow i went well done. I, I, you know yeah. I, it was a perpetual sunset on the train it was beautiful um but it's nice. funny I, all these distilleries out the window and i just it, it was not at that time an interest of mine you know uh, uh-huh. i was um it's, I, i'm also uh in addition to writing uh uh, mostly comics uh, I also uh, photograph and so that was the start of um, me falling in love again with photography um, oh nice yeah that's so that's, that's nice. been fun uh, I, I wanted to draw as a as a as a young man who fell in love with with comic books and uh, I just didn't have it but the photography scratches that itch about wanting to create an image and it doesn't always work out uh, it's sometimes better yeah in my mind or in the viewfinder than it, than it may turn out. But, um, you know, if you take enough of them, you'll eventually end up with a few that you, you do like, and that's sort of my, <laughs> that's my secret is uh, I'm always shooting. And, and so I may have a terrible batting average, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been, that's been fun. So those are the things that I like to do. And, uh, 
you know, I did uh, even so, even though I didn't get to visit any distilleries in, in, in Scotland, uh, I did take a trip, uh, with our mutual friends. We went to Japan and so we got to visit some mm. of the distilleries oh. over there and that was a delight. And, and, and for me personally too, it just for anyone out there that is, uh, has a comic book, uh, history, I grew up reading Frank Miller Daredevil in the eighties and there was a lot of Japan that was woven in there. He was reading manga. He was reading Lone Wolf and Cub. And so it Mm -hmm. was uh, in my mind always to try and go. And I had always found the excuse not to go. And, and Mm -hmm. so in late 2019, I was able to, to take a trip over finally. And I'm so glad I did obviously because the pandemic hit, I was able to sort of live in those, pictures from japan and and sort of mm-hmm, edit them yeah. and curate them for a long time it it did help to sort of get out of uh you know how small our world became it it, it helped me make mine a, l- a little bit bigger um but but i had already loved japanese whiskey and then going over there holy smoke and getting to visit those places was incredible so we've got these two points on your on your whiskey line here. We've got Japan and distilleries in 2019. We've got a, a young Jerry in Scotland yeah. not imbibing. Where did whiskey enter into this for you? What did that look like? You know what? I got invited to a tasting, uh, uh, and uh, it just started to uh, click. Uh, it was actually on the same patio that where we met in in the wow. San Fernando Valley. Uh, going to a tasting, seeing that, um, you know, it was really the single casks uh, that began to sort of do it for me where, uh, you know, um, I was also my, um, I was born in New York, raised in Jersey, went to school in Boston. So there was sort of this always, especially in Boston, like it felt like alcohol was very much a part of the college scene and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I was actually a bar back. So I was working at Bill's bar and Venus across the street from Lansdowne street, Fenway. And, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, so for a while I actually didn't drink because I saw so much sort of bad behavior. Um, but then, uh, you know, obviously drinking responsibly and trying these whiskeys and seeing how each one was, uh, could be very different and how the, really there's like, such art in in the in the process and that it's a collaboration between mm-hmm. the liquid and the wood and i'm collaborating all day long i'm in the you know mm. i'm in comic books i can't draw but i'm i'm telling a story to my artists and then they're telling that story to the audience i sort of show up again at the end to write some mm-hmm. balloons and boxes and, and try and um, match my game to their game, but that's okay. there is you know I think a, a, a direct line, but to from a comic book collaboration to a uh, like a whiskey collaboration. In that, I think you know if if I'm the liquid in all of this, the artists are the barrels, and I would not necessarily write the same way for each artist. Um, you know, I, I sort of uh, would okay. uh, be able to tailor something for each one you always want to ask what they want to draw that's always very helpful but you know um even if i gave the same script to three or four different artists i'm still going to get completely different different sort of stories iterations yeah it just you know that that that's how it is but uh you know um and and sometimes i'm invited um into schools my my son pre-covid was in uh, grade uh, grade school here and they found out that I 
I worked uh, at Marvel and, you know, said, hey, would you come in and, and talk to the kids about art and making making <laughs> comic books? And I always just tell them, you're never going to be great at everything. Or, or the, if you are, congratulations, you're, you know, you're a one in a million. But you, you do something very well. And so you want to try and find people that do the things that you can't do and then they're doing it well. And uh, so if you can teach young people to collaborate you know, that, that's where it gets really interesting. And, uh, you know, like my, my favorite whiskey, uh, is, is still Chichi Boo, I think, you know, oh, okay. that, that collaboration yeah. between that liquid and then, you know, they use a lot of Mizanara wood. It's not, it's mm-hmm. unlike everything, anything else really that I, I, I've tasted. Unfortunately, uh, I have, I have that taste, right. It would have been great if I <laughs> said, Oh, my favorite whiskey is, is, Honey Jack, you know, you got to try this <laughs> Jack Daniels Honey Jack. It's uh, available everywhere and it's cheap. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, if you do a 50 50 split between Chichi Boo and Honey Jack, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Do you know that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. You, you know, you, you started answering questions that I had before oh, I no. even asked okay. <laughs> before I even asked the questions I, I really I, I really want to get into some of the the nitty-gritty sure. in into writing and how you got into it but I feel as if we'd be doing our listeners a bit of a disservice so I don't think we got the answer of where your whiskey life actually came in where 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 that segue happened or like the, what, what your whiskey spark oh wait no i take that back it yeah, was the patio yeah it was the at the patio casks. okay okay yeah, yeah, yeah it was okay. at the patio but I'll t- i can go i can tell you a little bit more you know there's a thing that sort of happens like i would i read a few issues of daredevil and fell in love with daredevil and then was going to read daredevil i get all the daredevil so yeah, you, yeah, that yeah. was sort of the way that my that my brain worked but you know that we tried some uh uh whiskey from glen Allicky. And this was years ago mm. now. Um, you can't really run into this opportunity anymore. Um, our mutual friend Kelvin, there he goes. I just, I just right. started re- reading this one, the, the oh, Guardian yeah, Devil that, one. Which Yes, that's that's a, a classic uh, Daredevil story. Yeah, yep. Um, Sorry, continue. No, I was just going to say uh, that... Squirrel! That, that, you know, <laughs> that Kelvin had uh, at that time you know, was in touch with cask brokers and getting emails and, you know, they would send out cask available casks and distilleries. And we found one that was in our price range. So three or four of us jumped in and mailed off checks. And, uh, we, we ended up, um, splitting, we have a cask, uh, aging at the Glen Allocky. We bought it at three years. It's in a sherry butt. And we tried it recently, and it's getting close. It's still a little hot for our taste. It's okay. it's about mm. the mid sixties, but that was the mm-hmm. other thing that I find very attractive about that is that like it'll yield you know whatever it will yield for us. But then I get to collaborate with my friends, and how long do we age it? What is you know would we yeah. ever possibly take yeah. it out of that? We'd yeah. never remove it from a sherry butt into anything else. We're just going to let it yeah. mellow in there, uh, yep. but but. You know, maybe I'll take one of my photographs and print the print that as the label, and then have that as gifts to give her. I'm sure one will make its way over to you guys when when we pull the trigger <laughs> on it. Um, you know, so so it's it's neat. I find that uh, to to be uh, a fascinating process. I like process. 
Um, and mm. so I, um, and, and by the way, I, I'm really jumping all over the place, but, but, you know, we, uh, in my day job, uh, right now, I'm privileged to write, uh, the X-Men for Marvel. They have mm -hmm. their own nation state now. I, I, we added a distillery to, to, uh, Krakoa where the, yeah. the they, they live and not just because it was an interest of mine, but really because doesn't that say to the world, this is a civilization with its own arts and own crafts and own culture and oh there you go i'm proud of you x-men <laughs> yeah one. i, I ju yeah i just i just started this okay. so well, uh pepe yeah. laraz and Mar marte gracia um the the line art and color artist uh for for our x-men run are the best one-two punch in, in comics right now and uh, yeah. anyone sitting in my chair is going to have a, a real good time but i've tried to be very thoughtful about the things that we do and i've been, had such good fortune in collaborators from uh, the previous writer on x-men to uh, how much he set me up to succeed to our current group of writers because mm -hmm. that really is you know, we're sort of in a prog rock band and a slack all day figuring out how we move <laughs> these characters and titles into um, into alignment. Uh, and it's especially hard given the supply chain issues with printer demands. Mm -hmm. It's it's an oh extra layer of of production hassle that we used to not face. Wow! Wow! Oh, oh, okay, uh, uh, hold on, Jason. I know. I know yeah. you if we go into supply chain, yeah, we're going to totally gonna go. derail oh, well, yeah. this because we're all just going to sit here, you know, <laughs> crying into our whiskey glasses. So there's, yeah. you know, there, there's so much that I want to ask. Um, and, and seeing as you're jumper, jumping around, I'm going to jump around a little bit as well. Please. But I really, I really liked what you said, how, how you, you come up with a story and, and you're working with an artist or artists and, and sometimes you'll modify You'll modify it a bit depending on the artist and what, and what they want to be drawing. And so my, my question for you is, when you're creating a story, do you sometimes have that artist's style in mind to help dictate that story in, in, in a way? And, and B, how much direction are you giving them from a visual standpoint? Like, I want to see it laid out as such and such i want to i'd like to see frames be laid out in 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 a certain way and and then this is the final part are they are they given the the word bubbles thought bubbles and um you know j just the sort of the, the background squares that sort of help the story along before they start drawing Totally. Those are great questions. The, the honest answer is it changes a little bit on the circumstances and what the title is, but I do write a full script because I do think that's my job. I don't always, I, I, I have a chat with all the artists at the top to say the balloons and boxes, the word balloons are anything spoken in the comic and the caption boxes are anything that you read that would be an omniscient narration, narration or a, or a locator uh you know someplace that tells you where you are that all of that is in there and then it's varying degrees of of finality you know certainly it it tells them even if i have an entrance into a room and someone says a line 
someone has a balloon and it's not funny yet, I let them know the balloon's there so that they can accommodate it in the layout. So the first thing that happens is the artist will take, and often they'll print out the script and then on the page, just do boxes of what the page then looks like. Um, mm-hmm. Jack Kirby did a lot, you know, with four, four panel boxes. Alan Moore mm-hmm. became very famous for using nine panel grids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I like to sort of, for instance, Phil Noto is very painterly and, you know, I, I try to give him or, a, or, a, or, a Pepe Larraz, uh, a lot of room to breathe because they will just knock your socks off. Uh, My friend Scott, who I do a lot of comedy work with, if I put 11 panels on the page, he might add two more to get to 13 or something insane, you know, like, or like it, it, but, but that's, you know, that again, that's just, that comes with the familiarity of working with someone for a long time. So, so we do, you know, there's never any one comic book script, um, mm. you know, there's the one I do for the editors once for Marvel, if it's a Marvel comic, uh, they, they approve it. It goes off to the artist. We might make some changes. I'll certainly make some changes for the letterer. Once the art comes back, I'm trying to both punch it up in the comedy writing sense, mm-hmm. uh, f- beat the joke. Um, if it's a joke, do more with less, you know, if I have a, mm. a scene and it's the ice storm, and there's the, uh, you know, they have to have a back and forth. What am I yeah. doing to condense things? Because you want to read less. I look more, I look a bit more clever when there's fewer words on the page. Ah, um, as best I can, I try to, to, to try to do that. And, and if it's of interest to you, I can share with you um, a couple of pages. Uh, Chris Samney uh, allowed me to share his process of a guardians of the galaxy issue that we did about uh, star Lord. You don't quite know why he's venturing into deep space until he's tuning in to broadcast from earth, trying to find a specific year to get a specific song because his tape broke. So he's trying to re-record <laughs> it off of those waves. Yeah. And it's just a one and done sci-fi story that, that, he and Matt Wilson just killed. But what's really fun is, and what's the most illustrative about that process is the comic book, what we call the thumbnails are rough. It's very quick. It's if, you know, I'm looking at you in a zoom, if this is a three panel page, you know, it's just a circle with the tail going into the mouth. And, you know, that way Mm. you can discuss, Oh, Hey, I might need a little bit more space here or, Hey, you can push in, you know, to get a better reaction. It's a, it's a really, really fun uh, thing that uh, I, I blundered into. Um, you know, my, my process was I, I thought I was going to write late night TV and talk shows. And I, indeed, yeah. I, I did write a lot of that when I got to California. But I was also working at Golden Apple Comics on Melrose during the, the, the time that Iron Man detonated, you know, like a, like a, like a bomb. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, Robert yeah. Downey Jr. as, as Stark iron man that like was as important i think as anything that lee or kirby or Mm -hmm. ditko ever did you know it it Mm -hmm. was a transformative um um, experience for for moviegoers and look at the culture now you know it's yeah it feels it it feels like nerds 
you know, are spiking the football that they don't know how to throw. One hundred percent. And God love them. We earned it. We we earned it. But um, the, the the you know, the, I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, my writing partner Brian Posehn uh, was wrapping off of Mister Show. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh yeah, a yep. wonderful sketch comedy show on uh, on HBO for many years. And uh, we had a comic book about Santa Claus after the apocalypse. And uh, we had met Rick, uh, Rick Remender, who drew it. He's now not known for having drawn anything. He's such a successful writer. But the uh, long and the short of it is, if you're interested in making comics, you must make comics. You can't apply for a job in comics without that under your arm. And you need to finish what you start so you can hand an editor a finished comic and we like to say that breaking into comics is a lot like breaking out of jail in that once you do it one way, they kind of brick off the way that you did it. So I don't know if you mm. can go from like the dick and fart joke factory that I was working in to then doing that. I, maybe you can. I feel like yeah. they filled it with cement and mined it when I crawled in. But what was <laughs> transformative for me was working with Brian and Tony Moore and getting a shot at Marvel um, in Marvel now, which is almost 10 years ago now, believe it or not. And wow. we were knocking on the door of Deadpool for a while because they saw us as comedy guys and mm. we were happy to be known as anything like any guys. Right. And <laughs> so again, more luck and timing. I got to write Deadpool. We hit, and mm -hmm. we had this long run and then, you know, Ryan Reynolds leaked his test footage and anyone in that chair was on a rocket, whether you knew it or not. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, again, all of our artists were so good and so funny and made us look so good. And we, we had this epic run of, of Deadpool and um, more than I ever wanted to. And, and honestly, I probably kept a lot of interesting Deadpool from getting to print from for how long I was in the chair telling Deadpool stories. Um, but but uh, so I've I've gotten very, very um lucky in, in all of those collaborations and, and now so, to have so, the dream job. Now I'm writing X Men. Yeah. So so as you as you I, I love the way in which you, you present yourself because you're kind of like, I did this thing, but it was a decade, but you just covered it in one second. So <laughs> pause for pause there. Yeah. So so when you when you Came out the bushies uh, with us in, in LA and <laughs> yeah. onto the patio. Uh, you you were introduced as the the person responsible for the movie version of Deadpool that, that, is, that we've all that is fallen in love with. And you were very hard, humble in the moment. Well, but a really hard oversell. I mean, I, I think they, you know, my friends would like to think of me as that guy. That's not true. You know, the, well, the, the, the person responsible for Deadpool doesn't really exist in that mm -hmm, Deadpool mm -hmm. is like Freddy Krueger with so many mothers and fathers. You know, Gail <laughs> Simone, Joe Kelly. Yeah, we have yeah. Fabian and Rob who uh, originated the character. And I don't know that anyone necessarily in those early days, Ed McGinnis, gets enough credit for Deadpool was a labor of love. Deadpool back then was... Hey, you've got uh, a mini series. Oh, you're you've got an ongoing series. It's mm. it's going to be twenty issues. Guess what? Sorry, now it's ten issues. And so there was a oh, wow. lot of fits and starts. You know, again, 
I was very lucky in that the world was ready. It was standing on my predecessor's backs at that moment. Whoever was at that moment was going to, was going to hit it, was going to, was going to have a, a really good time. And, you know, we were supposed to hit, we had Jeff Darrow on covers who, again, going back to Frank Miller, did hard boiled, super hyper detailed covers, hilarious covers. Tony Moore, uh, you know, who collaborated on The Walking Dead with Robert Kirkman, did the first arc of interiors. It's gorgeous. And then we had Mike Hawthorne and Scott Koblish and all these wonderful artists that would come later um, who carried us around. You know, it, it, there are mm. times, the super fun thing about being part of a team is it's great if you can hit a home run. And some days you need to hit more than one home run. And some days maybe mm. you don't, but that's okay because someone is going to knock something out of the park. You know, we, yeah. we did stories there that, um, you know, I still will, I'll be proud of them uh, forever. And, you know, Deadpool as a, Deadpool is already in the movies. You know, Ryan, uh, it's funny. I think Fox <laughs> did not necessarily believe uh -huh. in Deadpool and I can't speak for the movie guys. They've been very kind to us over the years. But they had their own, you know, collaboration going on and their own. I think they or if they didn't feel like this, I would understand if they did carrying around Deadpool like a wounded war buddy going, I believe in this. I know this can be a super hard R fun uh, experience that will blow the doors off. And of course, until you do something, you know, uh, you know, then you look like geniuses. And they were pulling money out of that budget you know they were giving up uh, big fight scenes you know going in and, and you know wow. uh, uh, oh yeah so so my my hats off to them you know i do think the definitive deadpool is probably you know the the one that ryan and and and, and uh and his collaborators uh, cooked up for the features that's what everyone knows and i'm i'm well, yeah I'm, I'm thrilled for them but actually what i was going to ask you was do, do you think Deadpool as a comic lends itself to the big screen, to the movies, in a way that perhaps some other comic books don't or haven't. Is there is there that kind of humorous sensibility works as as a movie? Like it doesn't take itself so seriously. Yeah. And sometimes if you run into a Superman or a Captain America or a Thor, like it, it feels much more serious and much more into itself where Deadpool is so self-referential yeah, and deferential. It's, it's a great question. I mean, you know, the, uh, he, um, the way that I approached Deadpool was that, um, I approached him like tofu in that you could, <laughs> he would accommodate really whatever you were putting into the yeah. sauce. And so, um, they obviously had a tremendous sense of humor and they took the piss out of a lot of the superhero stuff. You know, Ryan, Ryan riffed that line, you know, when he went to the door in Deadpool 1 where about Fox not being able to afford more X-Men. You know? <laughs> I, I don't think they had that until it was on its feet. And that ended up being the loudest laugh line in the movie. And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, um, but, but I will say, um, you know, some of my favorite Deadpool stories, whether they're the ones that I collaborated on or not are, are horror stories. Um, but you can, so you can really, um, you know, mm -hmm. he used that, um, sense of humor as a, um, you know, like a, a masking technique. He's a horribly scarred figure and, you know, just dis yes. disfigured yes. and, 
Um, uh, yes. We made his, if you were a D&D character, a super low charisma and not just because he was, he <laughs> looked fantastic. like, you know, that you pushed him out of yeah. a car, you know, it, it, it um, uh-huh. um, but, but we also, I think my favorite thing that we did uh, at Marvel in the comic books as a arc mm-hmm. was to, um, we, we knew that we were going to be, and this is the fun thing about being in the, what we call the, the big room at, at Marvel. Um, that that um, the editorial room where a lot of the writers and artists and editors get together to plan out years in advance. We knew that Wolverine was going to be dying uh, uh, in the yeah. comics. And we also knew that um, S- Steve Rogers was going to lose his super soldier serum and then age up. And mm-hmm. what we we were just nudging Deadpool into Cap's orbit because that's a really fun, you're always looking for characters to, to bounce off each other in fun ways. And it shouldn't have worked, but that's why it worked. Cap, gotcha. Cap really needed muscle and he could see that Wade needed a, like a, like a, like a drill sergeant and sort of, he took him on as a soldier yeah. and it really worked. He was a good soldier, even though nobody really wanted to be around him. He won over his Avengers and then Unfortunately for Wade, he did not know when Steve Rogers was restored that he was restored and and tainted with evil. So he was Hydra. So he was following mm-hmm, Steve mm-hmm. Rogers' orders before he ever heard Cap say the words, Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra. And, yeah. and when he did, Wade was like, ah, sorry, come again? What? what <laughs> we did what? And so it was great. You know, the only guy that ever bet and lost on Steve Rogers was Wade Wilson. Um, so that wow. was the real, real gift of what we, of what was a big event at Marvel, very controversial at the time, called Secret Empire, that uh, Nick Spencer uh, was writing, and we just, we always tried to find because we were also we had traction, we were a buck cheaper than most comics, and I don't know if that had anything to do with it, you know, uh, and at the so at the time it, it felt like an easy impulse buy, but the other thing we tried to do was. Once you're a hit, Deadpool, you know, not that he was used like Spider-Man where he would swing into other books, but they were always Mm -hmm. looking for, hey, is there a way that Deadpool could reflect this other story that we were doing? And we were always happy to do it because we found reasons to hurt Wade. You know, we couldn't kill him. We didn't want to kill him, but we could always hurt him in different ways. And so that, that, that was the job, you know. People always ask me, they get sad or they get angry, why are you doing this to to Deadpool? And the answer always is, I'm not it's not my job to make him happy, right? Like it's my job to like put him through hell. And in that way we're his <laughs> own worst enemy. Um, or we're, we're we're his worst enemies. But we, we actually because it was Deadpool, we could have him acknowledge that. I thought I had this great idea to end my Deadpool story where I was like, I'm going to show up in, in this comic very, right? Like, uh, uh, like very egotistical. But I, I, mm-hmm. I said, well, Wade will get so angry. And then I go, oh my God, I can't do that. Grant Morrison did that in Animal Man. I'm just ripping Grant Morrison, <laughs> another Scotsman. And then I said, oh my God, no, of course I have to show up in Deadpool because Deadpool will go, very clever, Jerry, you're doing Grant's bit. And then yeah. I can be horrified in the comic. And then he goes, thanks for nothing. These years have been shit. And he shoots, shoots me. 
Um, and, you know, again, it felt too much, but I couldn't talk myself out of it because I didn't get mm -hmm. a chance to ever, like, thank everyone that, like, really, you know, I write a script. It takes about a week. It takes about two months sometimes, six weeks, two months for an artist to draw a, draw a script. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's tough. Huh. I'm quickly hitting the pause button on you again here because I've got a follow-up and then I know Joshua's got, got sure. many more questions as well. I hear so many writers say how much they love their characters. And when we were drinking together on the patio <laughs> after you emerged from the bushes, you, you had said while we we're sitting there chatting, I'm not here to make you know life good for my subjects. Yeah. And I've carried that with me since you said it on the patio. And I love that you bring it up today because how do you then feel when you hear other writers say, I love my characters, they're so precious to me, and I'm often trying to help them out of scrapes rather than put them in them? It's a great question. Uh, you know, now after years of doing this, what I really tried to do is be the Lorax that speaks for the evil. Um, in a story, you know, you have to be generous to your villains. This. You have to yeah. write your villains. And if you write yeah. your villains, I, I, I say this, and I know this sounds a bit psychotic. I, I never really felt like I was writing the heroes as much, as much mm. as listening to them. I felt always like I was writing the villains. You know, we have mm. a group of human aligned villains in x-men right now and i love writing them they're a collaboration of humans that have decided that krakoa is a tumor on earth and that these mutants are cancer that has to go and mm -hmm. you know if you mm -hmm. can spend some time and some page count right it's pages you may not always be seeing the, the fighting and the heroes you, you, you your story has a real shot at having legs and being something that will land, right? Everyone mm -hmm. loves Dr. Doom. What a great villain. Like when he, mm -hmm. you know, just to, again, reach for one of my favorites, I got asked to do um, a book called Savage Avengers, which was a, a, a book that uh, Marvel was able to license Conan and have him interact with the Marvel Universe. And it sounds like it should not and would not have worked, but we, I think, approached it from the right way of Conan coming into this society and going, it's not as civilized as you think. You know, I see more slaves here than I saw back in the past. Wow. Your, yeah. your bonds are, are more invisible. You're all staring at your magic glass. And he was able to very much exist in the moment and uh, still hate sorcery, still embrace technology and, and weapons and that sort of thing. But the joy of it for me was Conan would look at Dr. Doom and go, I, you know, I respect him. Uh, he's done what I want to do. He has Doomstar castle. That's what my destiny is. He would probably see someone that mm. he might have <laughs> to shank someday. Although we gave them such a big problem that they were uneasy allies. And then after they beat up, the wizard, of course, Conan was like, let's go to that castle and feast, right? And so yeah. out of that came a story called To Dine with Doom. And, you know, 
Conan sitting there eating a turkey leg and going, you're very vain. You don't take off your mask. And, you know, then like <laughs> out, off comes the mask to go, let's see if you can keep eating, looking at this face. But it was, you know, mm. again, just give your villains a chance to kind of vamp. And, uh, you know, that, that I think that's for me anyway. Um, you know, as much as it would be important to write a great Spider-Man story, unless Peter Parker, Spider-Man is doing something like pushing against something, um, it, you know, it, it, you're probably just going to kind of be spinning your wheels a little bit. So mm-hmm. be good to your villains mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, be, have, enjoy having a black heart in your chest. That's the, we'll, we'll all live forever. Embrace the evil. I'm here to promote <laughs> being a Sith, a Sith Lord. <laughs> Things I didn't expect to hear in today's interview. <laughs> That's I'm what happy the whiskey I heard is for. Today. The whiskey yeah, exactly. is for when you're feeling bad after a day's work of lopping off heads or killing Aunt May or whatever <laughs> horrible thing we've done. It's time to just unwind right. with a nice dram. So earlier on, <laughs> you you talked about getting into to writing comics. And yeah. if you wanted to get into writing comics, well, you had to do the whole thing. And then I think even further back to when we were emailing about, you know, trying to set up a date to record, and you had touched on this idea that we probably have a lot in common between the comic book world and in the whiskey world. And so, again, thinking now even further back to when Jason and I first got started, we were, we were whiskey bloggers that then mm-hmm. got contacts within the whiskey industry, and they helped us to navigate the system of working with brokers, figuring out the, the U.S. legal three-tiered system and, and, and all that. And so, like, we very much got into and started a whiskey business from a place of nothingness. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm wondering what your adventure looked like getting into comic books and what sort of help you had along the way to get where you are to now. Well, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, making an independent comic book, uh, what we call creator-owned, where the writer has a equity, the artist has equity, maybe some of the publisher has, has some equity, is very difficult. We like mm-hmm. to think that we're aggressively progressive in our stories, and that is true. We're, we also have a very 20th century business model, what we call the direct market, where comics are not sold on newsstands anymore because they're not returnable. So the glory days of sort of buying your son or daughter a Hulk or Batman or Wonder Woman at the checkout lane uh, is gone. Um, And so what comic fans need to understand or what uh, comic readers and comic, especially retailers and creators need to understand is the primary market for comic books is the comic book retailer. They're ordering everything and they're paying for it, whether it sells or not. And I assume Mm -hmm. that's true in your business where, you know, you like you're, you're selling direct to consumer, right? You have a mail order business, but you also partner with retailers. Well, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. legally we, yeah. we have to legally. do import and distribution sure. and retailer. So behind the scenes, it's all following the rules on the surface sure, of sure. it. It looks as if people are buying directly from us. Meanwhile, we have a legal system that we are following. Of course. Right, right, right. Make, uh, all makes perfect sense. There is a lot of um, uh, um, change in comic books now. Um, Substack is in the game where people are digitally publishing 
comic books and then taking those digital comics and then doing a nice hardcover. You know, mm. nobody wants single issue comics to d- disappear, but there with as inflation goes up and, you know, printers cl- either shutter or have labor issues or paper shortages or whatever, you know, yeah. mm. eventually that's probably going to be the 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 Achilles heel of single issue comics. It's not the desire. It's the actual production of it. And I could foresee a time when we start doing um, almost what we call digests or the manga model. Hey, here's 120 pages. So as an experiment, for instance, this summer I have a comic book, original graphic novel, a hardcover, 120 pages called the dark room. And it's Mm -hmm. a super fun comic. It combines my love of photography and comic books. Wonderful artist, Scott one Cristiano, who a friend introduced me to. And um, as an experiment, we just went to the book model. We probably would have made more money going, hey, here are the single issues, and then here's the collection, and then here's the hardcover. Um, sure. But mm-hmm. we just, to, to try something different, we, we, we wanted to try and shake things up. Um, Image Comics, for me, has been my home uh, for creator-owned comics and they're wonderful they're but they're an umbrella so they don't own anything what image is is this umbrella that a lot of different creators can gather under yeah go to the printer together get a good price on paper get a good price on shipping and best of all own our own material so it's like that, a co-op you know, almost yes like a yeah. co-op it's yeah. um you know it was started by creators it's it's so that it was you know and obviously we, uh, you know, they, 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 they make money. They, they, they're, they're vested in the, in the publishing, but the, it's in terms of the IP, you know, if a studio wants to come calling for the dark room, you know, mm-hmm. I would say, thank you very much. Nice to, let me introduce you to my reps. It's not something that is controlled by image or any other entity. And it's something that we can exploit in our own, um, you know, any way that we choose, if it's time to make t-shirts, we can make t-shirts. If we want to do toys, we can do that. So that's fun. The other thing that's fun is, you know, the other reason I picked a camera back up a few years ago, well, one reason was all the pictures of my son, I could tell how old he was by how shitty the phone camera pick was, you know, <laughs> Oh, that's an iPhone one. He was a baby. Uh, but, 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 you know, to have something new to struggle out is good. I've gotten yeah. very good at, at making comics. I still can struggle at it, but at the end of the day, I know when I hit print or it's final, I know it's going to be great. And I mm. can still fuck up a photo of like a, 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 a still life in the golden hour. I, I can yeah. just, I meant to ask if this was like Jersey friendly speech or not. I guess it is now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're, yeah we're explicit. Yeah, yeah, and you can even you could even use the c word, but I I do bleep that. That's the only word that I bleep, and that's just Costco. because Jason forces me to bleep my favorite word. So there you go. Well, in the British sense, it, it was a different. It had different exactly, context, exactly. There you I go. should say British, Scottish, Irish. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how much the English use it. To be yeah, honest, maybe in Liverpool true, or right? Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> The towns with Irish connections. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the the book that I don't know if it's come out just yet, but kind of I don't want to call it old Hollywood, 
but it's of certain folk in the Hollywood sphere that you've just snapped photos of over a series of years. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's uh, I am working on a photo book. Uh, it's um, largely pictures. Most of them are from 2010 onward, but really there are some that go back to, you know, the early 2000s. Uh, some of them, those pictures were like sometimes on like disposable camera. There's a few on early gen mobile phones that um, I think are interesting despite their lack of technical shine. Um, but I did, um, one of my comic books uh, was imagining what happens to secrets after the internet hemorrhages all of our secrets, everything that gets doxxed, mm. and how do you move secrets? And it was just a good excuse to do a neo-noir uh, set in the future that was about secrets moving back at, on paper in briefcases carried by men and women with guns called ledger men. And we optioned that to Lionsgate for um, Chad Stahelski to, to uh, hopefully direct. Uh, and when that happened, I tried to honor the occasion by going, what, what nice thing can I do for myself that, uh, yeah might yield more fun or more opportunities or the struggle. And so I, I bought a Leica camera. Uh, and so oh, yeah. I, that, that's yeah. really when things took off. I sort of reinvested in the photography side of my brain. And I'm super glad I did because obviously the world's changed. But pre-COVID, I was uh, lucky enough to be asked to go to a lot of Comic-Cons. It's a lot of hotel, a lot of travel. You're already sort of like getting the travel photography part of it free. Anytime you can travel on someone else's <laughs> dime, go for it. Yeah. Uh, so, so um, I, you know, having that and going around the world and shooting a lot of behind the scenes of of comic book creation. You know, I might not be your favorite comic creator. I know I have photographed your favorite comic creator in you know Candids over the years with other comic creators. It's a very small community, and um, the you know the other side of it came from you know the joke writing and the late night stuff. And uh, Patton Oswalt has been very kind to me when he hosts shows when he's hired to go to to host an award show. Um, he usually in, uh, invites uh, his brother uh, Matt, who's also mm -hmm. a wonderful photographer, by the way, but uh, a very funny uh, writer. We we go with him. We listen to the show live so that he can, uh, you know, hang around uh, backstage and, and enjoy uh, some of the presenters and folks. And we we just pitch him jokes. You know, the, the easiest job in the world is is pitching material to Pat. And you can pitch him something flat that he can bang into shape and walk out on stage and riff as as the funniest joke. Yeah. So I never feel like yeah. we're we're any we're anything other than you know uh, like. <laughs> displaying some ammunition that he turns into howitzer um you know cannon shots and and it's so that's been fun so hanging out backstage and, and laughing with those guys has been fun like i have some really interesting pictures of like mark hamill and you know talking to like kevin feige and I'm, i think kevin's a big star wars fan and so like there's things that's interesting there's also just mm. anytime you're in Patton's orbit you're laughing so just really interesting pictures of like Patton, like making JJ Abrams bust a gut. And I don't even know what he was <laughs> saying. You know, actually I have a, uh, I have a whiskey and a celebrity story that is, is almost embarrassing Ooh. at the, at the 2012 
Editor's Awards, Clint Eastwood was giving his uh, longtime editor uh, the Lifetime Achievement uh, and uh, or an award. I don't know, because actually the Lifetime Achievement uh, that night was Anne V. Coates, who uh, edited Lawrence of Arabia, among many other amazing movies. Ah, Oh, my word. yeah, in a room full of celebrities, <laughs> wow. everyone, Clint Eastwood included, was in her orbit. So I was talking to Anne, and uh, I had my uh, my camera, and Clint Eastwood slides up next to her, and they talked for a few minutes, and they obviously knew each other, and he, they were obviously mutual fans, and I just snapped a couple of shots. I didn't even realize later it's a selfie, but that like later that night, I, I offered Clint. Uh, at the moment, because I, I think we had a Lafroig. I think Patton requested a Lafroig be there, and you know, yeah. just as something to share around with everyone. And I, I, I asked uh, famous sober gentleman Clint Eastwood if he would enjoy uh, a, a Lafroig, <laughs> and he he looked at me, and this will be the worst Clint Eastwood impression you'll ever hear. But he said, "Thank you, young man." I. I don't imbibe anymore, you know? And I was like, oh yeah, it's only been almost my entire existence. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> so that was the exact photo I was going to ask you about. Oh, that's funny. Because I, I must, I keep, I, I I must have seen it. you at all times. Yeah, every time. <laughs> <laughs> Through the whole interview. I Because I think I saw that on your Substack when yeah. you were talking about this upcoming book. And what I loved about it, there's there's two parts to this, where number one, for us with whiskey, there's so many stories told about being in warehouses and crawling over casks and finding forgotten casks in distant corners. And, and it's not true. Being in a warehouse is much more like standing there, your feet are freezing, the warehouse is so cold, you can't really taste what's in your glass. But you're chatting to the people around you yeah. and you're having that good time. Yeah. And it struck me and, and some of the photos that I saw from you that were backstage, when you're out in the theatre and you're on stage and it's glamour and it's glitz, here you are snapping these photos backstage or, or, or in the green room when folk are just chilling. They're just chatting. They're not on. Yeah. They're just with one another. And that, that was so striking to me as, as a potential parallel. And then my second point was the way you did capture yourself in the reflection. <laughs> I know, and funny, I thought, right? that's so that's so fucking smart and so well done. Again, I love hearing you accent. now say yeah. <laughs> literally because if you'll notice yeah. in the picture too, it's I'm just shooting blind, which also I still do a lot with the well, with any camera, you know, I could be looking this way and shooting this way. And it's especially good, you know, for street shots. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, obviously the better alternative is to be thoughtful and be looking through the viewfinder and shoot a shot. But at certain points in time, especially when there are people that are self-conscious or really aware, there's Mm hyper-aware people. My friend Chip Zdarsky, I cannot, I have never taken a truly candid shot of him in years of going to these Marvel retreats, because as soon as I'm holding the camera, he becomes aware of it. And I'm not trying to like steal anyone's soul. Like it's not like a soul trap, (laughs) but I have gotten very good at subways. The other fun thing is reflections, shooting into reflections that, that obviously was an accidental one. I really didn't know I was between 
you know, these two Oscar winners just trying to, uh-huh. um, but you also like, there's that line of, can you do it? And can you not be obnoxious? And I hope yeah. I am that, um, you know, uh, I certainly, um, you know, I, I, I guess there's stuff I've shot over the years where I felt like there's that it's like family stuff that I wouldn't share yet, you know, or, mm-hmm. or, you know, our, our, our friends or our, our, friends of friends and family and um you know a lot of that stuff like i haven't shared any of like pat and, and you know our, our kids you know or brian and our kids sure We're trying sure. to give them but it is sure. you know it, it's funny for it, it sounds like um sounds like a bit but it, you know hollywood is a just a small town in los angeles it's it's you know and and it's LA's you for if you haven't been here it's like you took a uh, the biggest city in the world and you just dropped it from orbit and it just splattered you know where <laughs> there's more people here than in yeah. several states and so yeah. um, you know uh, we have our uh, we have our fun and uh, you know award shows uh, we're, we're always a fun time to get dressed up and see friends you don't get to see in a while you know um, we used to uh, we used to see Bob Odenkirk all the time, you know, when, mm. when we were, uh, when Brian was at Mr. Show and, you know, then it became, I only got to see Bob when he was like presenting at one of these award shows, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's, it's silly good fun. And I miss it. You know, I, I, I never thought I'd say I'd, I'd miss uh, award shows for having written, uh, uh, so, so many weird ones. My first award show was VH1's Big in 03. It was a made-up award show with made-up awards. Even more made-up than most other awards. But Outcast. I was going to say, yeah. 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 The other ones that come from nature. Yeah, I didn't have my camera that night. I would have loved to have. But I saw Outcast play. You know, there is a weird award show season that is sort of a cottage industry. Like, I always see the same teleprompter operators. It's just, it was funny. funny. Yeah. That's really funny. I want to touch on X-Men really quickly because you, you had said, you know, you said now now I'm, I'm living, I, I may be putting words in your mouth, but I think you said now I'm living the dream. Oh, I'm, right, I'm writing X-Men. And, and I think, again, back to me and Jason as independent bottlers, and we think about the various distilleries that we want to bottle from. And, you know, I, I, I wonder if you think of of characters or or teams as different distilleries like oh I, f- I finally got to write for this or i finally got to tell this story through these characters yeah that's interesting i mean i guess wolverine would be a heavily peated he'd be some sort of single cask guard bag with a high abv but but you're <laughs> yes the the real answer is um you know the for me that the x-men was always the dream job and uh you know, uh, I, I thought I was um, uh, I was thrilled when Jonathan Hickman got to tell this great X-Men story of his. And I was happy to set aside any sort of ambition I had of ever doing it. And I certainly didn't ever want to follow him. Yeah. But he was such a good collaborator and set me up so well. And, um, you know, as a kid, going to the spinner rack and at five and dime hmm. or the grocery store, I went to Steve's sweet shop in Hohokus, New Jersey, long gone. 
But <laughs> on those days, I think New Comic Day was Tuesday. That was when the new periodicals cycled in. And I basically knew which day of the month was a Spider-Man week, which day was going to be an X-Men week, and which day like a mm. G.I. Joe was going to come out or something like that. Yeah. And I would go every week. And we had no idea what was going to be in that comic at that time. Maybe we knew what the cover that we were looking for. And that's it. And that was something that we're really trying to bring back, that sense, because the way that we solicit things, like yeah. uh, whiskey, like, hey, here's the ABV. Here's the cask. Here's the whatever. Here are the tasting notes. Mm -hmm. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's just so subjective. But we do that in comics, too, where we say, here's who's in it. Here's what we're doing. Oh, and don't forget, like Spider-Man fans, check it out. So you blow then the cameo, right? Yeah. There yeah. is, we try to, and what I think Jonathan was very good at, um, was if we are asking you to pay for it, we are trying to keep it a deadly secret. There are t multiple big, huge secrets uh, about to drop in the X-Men universe of things that I think are really going to catch people by surprise. And we have jealously guarded them and, and asked our artists not to do any works in progress, you know, sometimes, <laughs> and they're all great. Like when an artist is drawing, sometimes they'll post, here's the thing that I'm working on. And, you know, when they're working digitally too, it's almost like a movie, a little animated movie. You can see yeah. how, or it's see it. So it, it's all fascinating. Um, we also just know our great advantage is we are telling hyper-violent soap operas with the best characters in the Marvel Universe. And <laughs> we're excited about it, and our fans are excited about it, and we want people to be able to enjoy it. Um, you know, again, we're, we're, we are the research and development now of the superhero mm -hmm. culture, and we take the responsibility very seriously about trying to preserve story. Because otherwise, we don't understand why you would pay any hard-earned money uh, to be entertained. You know, we are entertainers, and we have to entertain, and we have to crush it every time. So there's that pressure. The fun thing the, where whiskey and comics are very different, you know, we tell a story, uh, and it's forever. If we hit it, it's forever. Mm. If we crush it, it's forever. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it will be talked about. It, it, that was the fun thing, working in a comic shop on Wednesdays when mm. people would come in, they would read their comics or buy their comics and then stick around and argue about stuff. Oh, well, I won't talk about it yet because you haven't heard this. But, you know, with whiskey, especially single cask whiskey, right? Like every time you enjoy a little bit of it, it there's a little bit less of it in the world. Um, so mm -hmm. I have mm -hmm. years ago, uh, I bought, um, uh, for my 50th, which I haven't hit yet. I bought, a, a an independent bottling of, um, Glenn Farkless, uh, oh. the, the old, old particular 50. So yeah. uh, oh, yeah. I have yeah. that to look forward to. And I'm glad I did it then because I'm not a hundred percent sure that I could pull the trigger on it right now or not get yelled at. <laughs> uh, uh, so I was very forward thinking, uh, at the time. Um, but you know, that was, it's a single cask. It's obviously it's in a, in a Sherry hogshead. It's, it's like 58 or something like that. I think 58% somewhere in there. Really nice. And nice. when we crack it, there'll be that much less of that cask in the world. Yeah, and obviously yeah. silent distilleries, right. Are, are sort of the most, you know, when I, when I took that Japan trip, um, we found really interesting places off the beaten path that were serving like Hanyu, you know, so they had yeah. still mm -hmm. single cask mm -hmm. Hanyu, um, which was 
obviously uh, Ichiro's um, grandfather's distillery. And, uh, you know, we, I, it felt like guilty. Like I felt like I was like, I should, you know, I should, uh, you know, atone for this, but it was incredible. <laughs> a good Catholic lad atoning over there. <laughs> <Just> uh, <laughs> I see you, Jerry. I see you. Um, yeah. But, but th- this is so interesting what you said a, a second ago, because obviously for us with releases over the years and people say, oh, do you remember that Amrut? Or do you remember um, that Cooley that yeah. came out? And occasionally someone will pipe up and say, I've got one unopened oh, of that. I've got, I've got one unopened of this. Yeah. But for the most part, we're relying on memory. Yeah. And so if, yeah. if we do collaboration with Glenn Farkless and people love it, and a few years go by and we do another one, people are in the very rare instance able to say, I can put this new Glenn Farkless against this old uh, one. Yeah, yeah. But in so many cases, they're going to be putting that new one up against the old one in their memory. Yeah. And you never win against memory. You can. Right? And so the fact that we can go back and we can open the comic book and we can read the story and we can look at the artwork, you you can get out of your memory there and the hope is that you do enjoy it the way you remember enjoying it when you've got it there in front of you. You know what's interesting is the thing that comics does that is magic and really only comics can do this is your brain is filling in the action between the panels. Yes. I and think so all you, the time you, you, yes. you, there is right. The, 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 your brain is kind of drawing and writing and, and accepting and, Oh my God, what happens next? And so yeah. there is this like sense memory and it's not always accurate. You know, yeah. like you can go back and revisit a comic and, and see that, oh, my God, that's not how I remembered it. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, you know, the other thing that that is uh, the, the, the actual smell of old comics is really great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the funny thing about like someone brought recently to the patio, the legendary patio, which I like that you <laughs> described me like I entered in like field of dreams where I was like, I gotta go to the patio. If they build it, <laughs> he will come. Yes. I, if you crack it, I will come and out I come uh, never to return to the old world. Um, no, but the, the funny thing is somebody brought recently a hard bag from the society. It was, I think it was marshmallows on a singed stick or campfire marshmallows on a singed stick. It was an, mm. just a single cast guard bag. It was not released in the U S it was a, uh, it was released in Japan. So I had it in oh. Japan. We found it in the wow. society bar, tried it there. Oh my gosh. That what a, what a great experience. Didn't know we were going to run into that. And then, you know, I'm back at the patio having that drum again and going, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm back in Japan. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. forever just linked with yep. that time and that place and that moment. And, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, it's great when, when you can all of a sudden magically be transported like that. And that's what I think is true of both whiskey and comics. Agreed. Yep. Uh, agreed wholeheartedly. Um, in, in the interest of time, we're going to start just running down. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, I would be, and I, and I, yeah, yeah, big boss battle. Yeah. I, I know our listeners want the following question to be asked that has only been revealed uh, to them in, in this conversation here, unless they are X Men fans. 
what is the house style of the distillery mm. uh, that is being operated in X-Men? It's very, very good. Um, I would say this. The, the interesting thing for those that don't know, I'll give you the very quick bullet point pitch of what um, Jonathan and Pepe and my collaborators did to reset the status quo. For many years, X-Men were in a mansion. They were in a school. We love them. They lost the school. They moved the school. It was always around the school. What the, what the new status quo, what House of X did was the mutants came together in lockstep and they went to what we, what uh, going back to giant size X-Men, Krakoa, the living island was a mutant. Could we collaborate with Krakoa, the living island to make a mutant society? And what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there was a, just a gentle retcon that yielded a lot of results that said years ago, they began working on it in secret and, and then now, uh, in the present, we have a mutant society that can use these uh, what we call Krakoan gates to travel great distances. And uh, when Jonathan was preparing to do the map for the end of that series, he said, what's there? And I knew that Marauders was coming. I had pitched a, a book that was sort of a pirate ship oh, about okay. Uh, going out and trying to have the mutants go collect mutants, like a, a mutant underground railroad that was also moving mutant medicines. Krakoa can grow uh, flowers that become medicines for humans. So hmm. it's this complicated sort of fun, I hope fun, thing that we're, we're doing. And um, we said, well, I got to have Hellfire Bay. We're moving the Hellfire Club to an island in the Pacific. It should look like it's a trident. And the other thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to put a distillery uh, that will be named for a lost mutant island called Genosha. So Port Genosha is going to go there. And then I thought, well, how am I going to what, – what does this actually practically look like? And what they did was they used this as soft power, right? The medicines, they just want recognition. They're not, they're not charging an arm and leg. The whiskey – is also soft power. They sent it to Madripoor to their friends to sell. Now they now they have mutant trade, right? So I think the house style is interesting because I think there is it's not peated unless it's specifically like a bespoke uh, distillation that is is going to be aged. But the fun thing that we sorted about it was we have um, some characters that uh, can use their mutant gifts. We think about mutant powers now at, in circuits. Uh, the fastball special when Colossus picked up uh, Wolverine and threw him to yep. stab a guy or an airplane or whatever needed stabbing. That was the initial mutant technology, but that was like, you know, the Stanley Kubrick, the ape with the bone in 2001, figuring out <laughs> mutant technology. Yeah. Now we can have, you know, we, we told a big story called Planet Size X-Men where the Omega mutants terraformed Mars. You know, Magneto rode a meteor, an iron asteroid into Mars to give it a denser core, and they all set about doing that. The, what the whiskey is, so they distill it. I'm very proud of this. There's the uh, casks, and then a mutant named Tempo, who has the ability to temporally shift things. So she can age things uh-huh. up. And so she ages the mutant whiskey to any age. We said the I'm 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 always trying moonshots. We said the standard, <laughs> the standard age release of the mutant whiskey is 50 years old. 
So amazing. Um, oh my gosh. Which you would want for like, you know, like a like a Krakoan we the interesting thing about Krakoa is Krakoa will provide. So if you ask Krakoa for a biome, you'll get a flower and then you can plant the flower and it quickly grows. And that's how the gates work too. So the mutant whiskey, I think is very sort of floral with a lot of like, you know, tropical fruits, probably. Mm. I think it's in the Hanyu and Chichibu um, strike zone. And that's just, that's just because (laughs) honestly, like, Cooking that stuff, experiencing Chichibu for the first time, going, hey, I could be a, a, a master distiller on Krakoa, like figuring out <laughs> what are those things that we want to do that we want to give. And, and then, you know, like it just sticks around, especially when you mine your own continuity. So in Savage Avengers, when Kang is at the end of time, you know, with all of his trophies, he's got Cap's shield and Wolverine's skeleton, and he has an unopened bottle of Krakoan mutant whiskey, Port Genosha on there too. You know, it, it's fun to be able to just make additive toys. And, and, you know, again, like it's, it's ways of, for me to express the things that I love, but that also I think will yield some really interesting story possibilities for those characters. So that's always the goal is to have fun because if I'm having fun, my artist has a chance to have fun. If we're both having fun, then the reader has a chance to have fun. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, brilliant. Yep, agreed. A long way to go to answer. It's Chichibu on you. <laughs> <laughs> Can argue with your thoroughness. Thank you. <laughs> so we we have a question that we always uh, get our guests out on, and mm-hmm. you started touching on some things. Obviously, I, I imagine there are certain things that you cannot talk about. But as you look into the future, the next two years, three years, five years, what are you most excited about, whether it's your writing or your photography or, or what have you? What, what has you waking up in the morning? You know, um, I'm super glad that we seem to be coming out of this pandemic. I know it's not over. Um, so I'm excited to get back to traveling. Um, I, I would really love to, um, haul my camera around a little bit. I, I grabbed a, I bought a light. I was going to, I was going to A-team together this, uh, like magnetic light. And I thought someone must've had this idea already. So I've got this light that I can like put on the, it's magnetic so I can throw it. It's LEDs and I can change the temperature. So I, I want to do stuff like that. Oh, nice. I want to get back to traveling. I'm super excited about the X-Men. We're in the middle. We're just wrapping up year one of a multi-year plan that has broad buy-in at Marvel. And we mm-hmm. really think it's going to be um, a special story that will has a chance to, to really be a forever story. And, and um, I hope our love of X-Men is true. Everyone from our EIC down CB Jordan, my editor, and then all of our collaborators. So we hope we're telling a story that you'd be proud one day to have in in an omnibus on your bookshelf. I'm super thrilled about my creator-owned work. 
I hope you guys get a chance to enjoy the dark room this summer. I'll, I'll placed in order for it. Yes. Oh, oh well, I, thank you. You know, it, I appreciate that. You told me you had you children, know. so I have to. I got to support you. <laughs> <laughs> I love, love, love buying shoes for my son. He loves shoes. He, he needs food. He's a huge fan of the internet and electricity. Um, and he's coming into being a, a really young man. You know, my family. Uh, you know, we managed not to kill each other through quarantine and. Uh, He's in, he's off into eighth grade next year, and uh, I'm very proud go. of how he. I don't know what it would have done to me to be trapped with my parents when I was in sixth and seventh grade. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. You mm-hmm. know, I, I don't know. I can only imagine. So I did try to be very laissez-faire throughout it all. You know, when when your seventh grader said, "Hey, I'm really curious about Goodfellas. Can we watch it?" And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, it's time to learn about the mafia." <laughs> <laughs> what better time than now? What better right? time? Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, that's a great I, question. What about you guys? Or what are you excited for? Jason. Uh, it's No, it's all, always the same thing. Is that traveling? I'm going to be home in Scotland oh, uh, in May, actually. This, this episode might come out after Joshua and I have been to Scotland. Oh, wonderful. Um, but I'll be home for the first time since January of 2020. So wow. that'll be nice. That's great. Especially having having gone through years where I was getting there four or five times a year. Yeah. Now not being there for over two years is is wild. It's so hard. I, I'm excited for that. I will not see my mom uh, on this trip, but maybe uh, if travel continues, I will see her in a future trip. Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm the same. 2021 was my first year since 2011 of not going to Scotland at least once. And so not going back to Scotland, you know, I'm not Scottish. I'm just a Connecticut Jew, but you know, uh, Scotland really feels like I'm Scottish by choice. And by proximity, whenever I'm near Jason. Um, Scottish by love. So, <laughs> so it makes a lot of love, I tell you. Gonna take a lot of love. Anyway, so I'm excited about that. I'm also excited, and you get to see this, but we're, we're not going to show anybody else. We we've got, we have a new product coming out. Um, oh, wow. Don't say anything. Okay. But it's uh, wow. this is this is a oh, prototype. That's so cool. Yeah, and look at that's look at what he's holding. Yeah, see that? I love it. That's yes. my kind of creature. I won't say anything. Yeah, so Cheers. so it's a, this is a product line that Jason and I have been working on. Jason, Jess, and, and now Elijah and I have Love been working design. on for for five years now. Jason, oh wow, okay, cool, yep, yeah, long bloody time. It's uh, and then and for the record, so you can you can sleep on this one this evening. Your Goodfellows experience was my Deadpool experience. Ah, very good. Okay. And so my my sixth grader uh, got to see Deadpool. Very good. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm proud of you. Uh, when I, I remember one of my last signings pre-COVID, a young gentleman came up to me and asked me to write a permission slip for to give to his parents to see Deadpool. And I said, this is a first and I'm happy to do it. Give me about 10 minutes. And I like... Got out my Sharpie in the back of a comic book board and said, uh, Dear Sir or Madam, you're very well. uh, Your seemingly adult, young adult son, it's time to Uh, learn learn about the, yeah, it's very funny. I mean, 
You know, the other funny <laughs> thing is I had said to my son, don't, uh, you just wait for me for, for Deadpool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when I remember one day, uh, I, I just click on my Apple TV and Apple's like, Oh, Hey, do you want to continue watching Deadpool? And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, no, but good on you, kid. Like, what, who wasn't reaching for stuff before you were supposed to? It's the, it's the right <laughs> See, uh, our version of that is to to our kids is is have whatever you want, anything we've got. If it's open, you know, yeah. you, I know you want to experiment. Yeah. Just don't dilute it. Yeah, don't right. dilute don't, it. So, no and don't do it in sixth grade. Yeah, no <laughs> that's so funny. That is hilarious. Ah. Well, thanks a million, Jerry. Oh it's gosh, been a continuation of what we started on the patio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you know, the, it, so much fun that night. So much fun this afternoon. Uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, you know, I, I hope I can come back after we have some more life experiences. Maybe, maybe we'll book one in the evening, and I, I won't feel bad about uh, raising a glass with you guys. Oh, it's there still you the go. afternoon. I got to get into a, a, another meeting shortly. And <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to pass on it. So, uh, yeah, lovely. There's an, o- lovely there's an open door, Jerry. Yeah, please. Anytime. Perfect. Cheers. Best of luck, mate. Thank you. Take care. Sincere thanks to Jerry for joining us, for taking the time uh, out of his schedule to meet with us. Sort of a busy day for him. But it was, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this really quickly. I was with my rabbi the other day, and I was I was talking about. <laughs> you weren't expecting that, were you? I'm uh, expecting this sentence just sounds like the beginning of a joke. So let me tell you. Let me tell you. I was with my rabbi the other day. Oh, this is going to be good. Buckle up, friends. This is going to be good. Uh, yeah, I was telling him. He was he was asking what's new, right? Because I, I see my old rabbi once a month. We have breakfast together, and he is, he always asks what's new. So you know, I said, oh well. I celebrated 50 years with, with Haida, her 50th uh, birthday. And this was new, and that was new. And I mentioned um, bumping into a very old friend of mine who I hadn't seen in years. And he said, oh, that's great. Was it serendipitous? <laughs> and, I, and I'm thinking back to this, and I love that question. I love that question. I think back to our meeting, Jerry, Duggan. Mm-hmm. And I say, what a serendipitous meeting. What a nice mm-hmm. happen chance, happenstance, happen chance, whatever it is. What a nice surprise to be introduced to this person who I've been a fan of his work for some time. And apparently mm-hmm. he's been a fair fan of our work, which is kind of cool. Very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. And the fact that he had no ears and graces, the fact yeah, he just yeah, walked yeah. into yeah. a little whiskey gathering to drink some whiskey. He wasn't in charge of his own press. We, we found out more about him from the others at the table than we found out from him that, that first night. And then we got into a conversation you know, around his work and all of that. So I, I figured he would be a good guy. I mean, if, if he springs from the bushes to join a party, <laughs> he's, he's going to be a good guy, right? <laughs> he said he was leaving to go get an Uber, but I, I only saw him make it back as far as the bushes. So. Oh, that's interesting. You think he just lives in the bushes? I don't want to say it out loud, Joshua. I'm going to leave people to put two and two together.
so you had said to me during the break that we do have a bit of news. So we do. Is it so much news that we need to wake the paper boy? 100%. Yep, 100%. Oh, wow. No doubt about it. I'm not vacillating on this at all. Wake him up. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, extra. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Me and that Playboy in trouble again. You've woken him. Now you, you have to satisfy him. It's like paying uh, <laughs> the, the, the ship guy on the River Sticks. You got to pay him his due. Okay, get, get this in your lug holes, paper boy. Next week, immediately after July 4th, mm-hmm. we will be launching lottery for two wild turkey casts. <laughs> can help yourself. <laughs> 90s LA DJ, two wild turkey casts. <laughs> So ridiculous. So, and so yes. Yeah, so the so the two wild turkey casts are coming. Mm-hmm. That is exciting. They will be sold via lottery, as we've done in the past. We have a nine-year-old and we have a twelve-year-old, and for the first time, one of them—you <laughs> can guess which one—will uh, have a price tag different from the one or one which is our usual homage to our friends at Well Turkey, our friends, the Russells. Correct. And if I'm reading the room, it's the nine-year-old that's going to have the different price? <laughs> Only you would try and confuse people on this. <laughs> Only you. Only you, 1990s LADJ, would try and confuse people on this. The nine-year-old will most definitely be $101. Yep. And we're just, we're just finalizing various costs uh, for a final price on the 12-year-old. So so that's exciting. Get signed up for the lottery. Uh, the bottles will start shipping uh, the week of July 11. So that's very good news mm-hmm. in, a, in a podcast full of good news. At the same time as the wild turkeys begin shipping, we will be releasing a rather exciting collaboration with Black Button, ah. who are in New York State. Yes. Oh my gosh. This this one I'm insanely excited for because it's not a single cask. It's a marriage of four casks of whiskey, four 23-gallon casks. And I know some people exactly. are going to say, ooh, 23-gallon, that's a small barrel. Maybe that's not good whiskey. Have we bottled bad whiskey before? I don't, I don't think exactly. We had, right. And it, exactly. It, yeah. Well, and, and just just like we just like we did, and again we we mentioned it because it was such an important project this year. But we took two thirty gallon casks mm-hmm. from Catoctin Creek, combined them into the X Colhoman XPX Hogshead, mm-hmm. and so you know we don't often play around with casks smaller. Than, than, you know, standard 52, 53 gallon. Mm-hmm. But the times that we do, we believe we're doing it with good spirit, good liquid, good juice. And I think this is one of those instances. Yeah. Oh, I, I found this marriage of the forecast to be remarkable. Just 
Good, good, good bourbon. And another exciting little bit of news about Black Button is come July 13th, we'll release our episode with Jason Barrett, who's head distiller. Am I right on that? You know I don't make declarative statements. And this is why sometimes, Jason, I make declarative statements, because I was correct. He's the founder and the master distiller at Black Button Distilling. So, hashtag I win. And as we explore in the interview, he has an interesting connection to Catoctin Creek. That's right. Look at that. It's, <laughs> what did I say last episode? It's all so incestuous. Right? There's no evidence that anything incestuous happened between Jason and Scott and Becky. <laughs> just, I just want our legal team to know that Jason went on the record with a declarative statement yeah. That there is no evidence oh, no, no, of what no. Joshua is I'm just saying there's, there's a connection to it. I don't know why you're taking the word that way. I'm owning that word. I'm giving it its own meaning. <laughs> Said like a middle-aged white man. Hashtag take back incest. That's terrible. I don't know if I'm going to no, keep that. No, thank you. I may, I may, no, thank you. I may, no, thank I may you. or may not keep that one. Anyway, so so yeah, so, that, so that's our bit of black button news. We have our bottling coming out the same time with the wild turkey and with that one i think we'll have around 450 bottles or so which is good right because i think the that's forecasts. what the label says yeah, yeah. so, yeah, I think that's so on that'll the label. be exciting so so we we have our black button news we had our wild turkey news what else do you have for us we all right are finalizing some labels all right for some more bottling in Kentucky, mm-hmm. that um, will actually be our our own Copperworks. Mm-hmm. We've we've mentioned the Copperworks previously. We've we've run that interview with them as well, and now we're finalizing labels. American Single Malt, as we've talked about previously, uh, is hugely important to us, mm-hmm. and the success. Gosh, talk about the the backing of the nation, the success of the Virginia Distillery Company. With that five-year-old Spanish oak mm. American single malt, mm. yeah, so great. Yeah, and now here we are with a, a Copperworks story to tell. So we continue to put out some really wonderful, tasty, interesting American single malts. And that Copperworks is a marriage of two casks as well, right? So we have indeed, the Black yeah, Button, indeed. which is four casks, and the Copperworks, which is two casks, and right. And this seems to follow. Something that we we had been doing for a little bit, right? We did it years ago with our light whiskeys, sort of single batch nation, and then we and we've done it with some scotch, right, with our Glen Farkless. But I think when it comes to our American whiskeys, you know, we we did it with the light whiskey, we did it with our balcones, right? Mm-hmm. We did it with our whistle pig, the Tokai cask, and then the rum and vermouth cask, right? And seeing seeing what these casks do together and I'm I'm not I am not going to go out on a limb and say we're fantastic blenders and blah blah blah. I think we're very lucky that we're getting some casks that just happen to fit really well together. Yeah, and I think when we have these opportunities it it speaks to a promise we made to the nation which is always trying to increase volume mm-hmm. and available number of bottles yeah. without compromising quality of selection and i think both the black button and the copper works deliver on that promise that they do 
There you go. That's it, Joshua. That's that's all the news that's fit to report. Before we start to close out, we got a, a really quick email from Ben Homan that I wanted to touch on. And uh, this this came in in May, and and here we are. What what day does this episode drop? June twenty ninth. That's us. Right, and so I, I I feel bad that we've let it sit in our inbox for so long. So Ben Homan, uh, Connecticut boy, by the way, and part of my local whiskey group, I'll have to say, and his his dad Mark Homan, also part of my local whiskey group, sends us an email, and it's entitled "Blind Tastings," mm. and he says, "Hello to you all." Listening to the past couple of podcasts and doing it at my dad's house with him, a thought comes to mind. And I think he's referring to the blind barrels tasting that we did, right? Do you think that if someone randomly poured from your own collection, <laughs> would you be able to guess what has been poured? Do you think. Did you write this email before we embarrassed ourselves? Uh, no. No, he waited until we embarrassed ourselves, I think. <laughs> he says, do you think you could narrow down the exact bottle? Or would it be just distillery and maybe some more details, <laughs> but not the exact bottling? And I'm curious if Elijah and Jess would be able to guess theirs as well. So, so we'll have to ask Elijah and Jess at a later date. But that brings up a really good question, right? Because... Think about what happens, and, and you talked about this before in our, last, in our last podcast where you explained what it was like seeing someone you hadn't seen for a while. What do you do when they come over? You pour them a dram. But you know what dram to pour them because you're like, oh, that bottling, I know it, right? And I know mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that he or she will like it. But if the tables were turned and they went to your collection and poured for you... What do you think? And then said, what is it? And then said, what is it? I think Ben is incredibly generous in his email to say, would you get distillery <laughs> without necessarily naming the release? I think if yeah. you go back to uh, to Seabass, uh, Christopher Sebastian, oh. sending in our blind barrels and hiding our single cast nation Ben Nevis in there. Yeah. And you and I successfully talked about the funkiness mm -hmm. of it. And we started naming funky distilleries that we've bottled from mm -hmm. uh, and, and by separately uh, to that. We just simply missed Ben Nevis being a funky distillery uh, as we were sitting sipping on our own Ben Nevis. And the thing I said at the time, and I'm happy to reiterate here and for Ben... I am very pleased the number of times we said, boy, when I find out what this is, I'm buying a bottle if I don't already have it. <laughs> or, damn, that just drinks in a way that I really love. Yeah, and so yeah. to that point, the fact that we'd already sampled it and we'd already selected it and we'd already proudly sold it, all of those aspects rang true mm. in the blind tasting. Mm -hmm even if we didn't successfully identify it. So I no, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stand here today and say I I don't think I would uh, I would name from our own. Michael Nolan did it too is in Chicago, right? Oh, this is a single yeah. cast nation release. Yeah. What is it? 
and we didn't even get close to what it is. If you go back and listen to the the drummer's live uh, recording yeah. at the end of that, Michael Nolan pulls a fast one on us. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I d- detecting even a distillery is is going to be nigh on impossible. <laughs> However, and you know, I always I always like to think positively. And I like to give us credit where credit is due, and credit is not always due, but I, I think it is here. I think we did a pretty good job talking about the tasting notes. Like you had said, the funkiness. And there were certain bits and bobs <laughs> that we got that I think really lined up to our own initial findings in that cask when we selected it from the get-go, mm-hmm. right? So if anything our tasting notes are reliable and it's nice to know that we can go back to our own and say, all right, yeah, we still feel the same about it. That's cool. So yeah, so we may be shit at blind tasting, but uh, we're okay at tasting notes. (laughs) Hey, hey, listen, I know you were going to use that email to get out of here, but I I had a game that we didn't get to play in the last episode and I, uh, I, I desperately want to play it before we get out of here today. So just, just along the sense of blind uh, we're we're decent with the, with our own blind tasting notes, even if we're not necessarily identifying a distillery. Um, I want to dip back into. We mentioned them earlier in today's episode. I want to dip back into Michael Jackson's 1989 Malt Whiskey Companion. All right, and give you a, a quick little run around here. I'm curious to to hear your thoughts here. Okay. And I love the fact that this comes from 1989. I will tell you that the sample that he uses uh-huh. is a 1966. So. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> old as old. There's hell. been a lot of um, legendary stuff from 66. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so here we go. This assertive malt has never been quote-unquote officially bottled as a single, though it is still available from merchants. Blank has plenty of character, but the elements are not well combined Hmm. or balanced. Hmm. The supply is finite since the distillery closed in blank and the equipment has been dismantled. (laughs) <laughs> uh, okay, okay. There's then a sentence that Michael always has that, that gives away everything, and so I'm going to hold that sentence. <laughs> there was first a distillery on the site in the 1830s, but this was converted into a brewery, and the present buildings date from 1875. The distillery was last operated by the Whitbread Brewing Company, at that time under its Long John subsidiary. Now, in 1989, (laughs) the distillery buildings still stand, but have been sold to companies outside the drinks industry. Wow. Okay. There, there, there are there are a few details I'll yeah. go back and, and, and throw in there. So but I want to give you the tasting note first. So so this is 1966. This is a Gordon and McPhail cask sample at 54.8%. The color is bright gold. 
the nose, ripe fruitiness, pheno sherry question mark, some phenolic smokiness, and I will help you out here. This is Michael Jackson, nineteen eighty nine yeah. phenolic yeah. smokiness. So take that as you may. The body, soft, medium, malty, smooth, with some syrupiness, which is not a word I say out loud a lot. Syrupiness. Ooh, okay. Palate, powerful, with honeyish sweetness at first. Okay. Becoming gingery with some slightly sulfury sherry notes. Okay. Becomes considerably sweeter when water is added. The finish is assertive and dry. And he scores his 1966 cask sample a 70. 7-0. Okay. So there's some clues here. So... Mm-hmm. The distillery sits on a spot where a distillery once stood in the 1800s. <laughs> it became a brewery. <laughs> it was shuttered, I'm guessing, sometime in the 80s. Lovely. I will confirm 82 for you. Okay. Fuck, that doesn't really narrow it down. It doesn't. It doesn't narrow it down. But- I, I know. And at the time of the writing in 1989, the distillery was still standing. Does he say that or do you say that? No, because he's just writing in 1989. He says the distillery buildings still stand. I didn't want to mislead you if anything had changed in the last three decades. Okay, so... So he's he's talking about pheno. He's getting sulfury. That to me, that's talking about cask, and not necessarily about spirit. Can you can you just do me a, a quick favor and and read those tasting notes for me one last time? The color is bright gold. Yep. The nose has ripe fruitiness. Pheno sherry question mark and some phenolic smokiness. The body is soft, medium, malty, smooth with some syrupiness. And the palate is powerful with honeyish sweetness at first, becoming gingery with some slightly sulfury sherry notes, becomes considerably sweeter when water is added. The finish is assertive and dry. Did he say who owns the distillery or owned it at that time? Do we have that hint? The distillery was last operated by the Whitbread Brewing Company, at that time under its Long John subsidiary. <laughs> God, that does not help Whitbread. I, I, think, I think there's at least one listener screaming out the name of this. Can I have any hints? Can, can I have a region? Is it Speyside? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a real big one. Okay. A real big okay. one. I, I don't think it's a slam dunk, but I think it's a big hint. The river blank flows into the sea at the port and boat building town of Peterhead and the distillery site is nearby close to the vestiges of an old fishing village so the district within the region mm. is eastern highlands okay okay so a closed a 1982 closed eastern highlands distillery that didn't have an official bottling. 
That does narrow it down a little bit. But at the time, was this part of the Highlands... Oh, wait, wait, wait. East, Eastern. Yeah, that's not going to work. God damn it. Is it... Man. All right, all right. I, okay, let me let me ask you this because I uh-huh. I've, I've got two ideas, but I'm I'm nervous about my my geography, and I'm nervous mm-hmm. as well about the use of region regional terms based on the year and my own understanding whether or not these distilleries <laughs> were Highland or Speyside. Right. So with Eastern Highlands, you're not going to get any. You're not going to get any space side confusion. You're not going to get any. No, but you're talking like the chance of someone like a Glengarry being mistaken yeah. for a space side or in the late eighties. Like it just wasn't happening. Is it a Glen? It is. It is a Glen. Okay, because my initial gut went with Glens before I heard the regionality. Okay. Uh-huh. Shuddered. Okay. I'm going to take a real, a somewhat shot in the dark. Mm-hmm. And I'm going off of that forceful palette. Hmm. From gentle nose to forceful palette. Mm-hmm. And I've only had two bottlings from them before. Mm-hmm. And one of them was purchased at Aberlour Distillery when we were with Graham Usher and Lee Zaro and Ben Binogopal and Aaron uh, and Ben Weldy and I'm sure I'm missing someone. Because um, you love making incomplete lists. You know it. Hashtag you know it. Is it Glen Oogie? So I didn't have to bring up the name of the river. I didn't have to bring up our dear friend Michael Nolan who is currently traveling Ireland and Scotland and is the one known collector of this distillery that sits near the River Oogie. It is Glen Oogie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what song I'm singing. We are the champions, my friends. Uh, I, I will give you full credit. I would not have got that in a million years. Even the Peter Head, I just don't know anything about Glenugi. I just thought it would be fun since Nolan presented us with the blind SCN at the end of Drammers yeah. that we would use his favorite distillery for the blind tasting and Michael Jackson. Uh, experience in today's episode. Well, the other part of it was I had somewhere, so I had somewhere in the back of my head that that brewery bit was somewhere in the back of my head, and I couldn't remember if it was Glen Oogie or is it Glen Wivis? W Y V I S, mm-hmm. and. And so I took a shot in the dark and I connected it to the two Glenugies that I've had where I've, I've had that experience that Michael Jackson was talking about. And uh, it, it felt 50-50 in my head. So there we go. Well, there you go. You can walk taller today knowing that you identified the Glenugie 
from the 1989 wow. Michael Jackson Malt Whiskey Companion. I never even knew that there was a River Oogie. I don't, I don't remember that part, <laughs> that part of it. <laughs> but if I had said the River Oogie flows into yeah. the sea, yeah. you'd have been like, I think I know this distillery now. So what was the one sentence that, uh, that always gives things away? So you said, I'm going to hold off. That would... It's always the geographical. Oh, it was the, the River oh, Oogie. Gotcha, gotcha. And gotcha. then it was okay. Peterhead. So I held it back as a uh, as a okay. you know, a clue for you, yeah, yeah, but yeah. still okay. keeping out the River Oogie. There you go. Oh, I, I am gonna walk a little taller today, Jason. A little taller today. Mm, thank you. Especially firm in the knowledge I would not have got that. So you definitely have one up on me this day. Huzzah. <laughs> and I'm not a I'm not afraid to say that out loud. <laughs> So, A, thanks to Jerry Duggan. Indeed. Thank you to you, Jason, for that that game. Oh, it's so nice to be able to play that game, just you and me. Um, and and huge thanks to to Ben Homan as well for sending in the email. If Indeed. anybody else wants Indeed. to send in an email, if you've got some questions, you can reach out to us, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. Uh, you can email us, uh, info at singlecastnation.com. You can always Instagram us or, or Twitter us if you want. No one seems to do that, so just go with the email. That's fine. And, uh, and then the last thing I'll say <laughs> is uh, please... Go to Apple Podcasts. Please give us a review, a nice one, if you wouldn't mind. Five stars. We'd love it. Drop a little comment in there, and we'd love to read it on the on the Padcast podcast. And uh, that's it, Jason. You got anything else? Are we done? We done, so. Yeah, it's been such a good news episode mm-hmm. that you and I have been craving. Good news for Extra Extra, good news for One Nation Under Whiskey, good news for the industry. And I feel like today we've really celebrated that. I don't know if we had the opportunity in the last episode to celebrate the fact that our Backwoods Rye, Mm. which we have been speaking about for all eternity, has been both released and sold out. And that has been a magnificent experience. We did mention that. We did mention that in the last episode. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, because we talked glad about it. We did being a forty-eight hour sellout. Oh yes, yeah. yes, yes, yep. yes, yes. Yep. We did. Yep. Yes, we did. Well, hell, I'm gonna keep celebrating that news because Lee and Bree again put their trust and their faith in us uh, and the nation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we and the nation came through great guns. So, boom! Very exciting to get out of here, remembering. Even more wonderfully good news. Oh, beauty! Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. toast to that, Jason. I've got my glass in hand. Cheers to the listeners. Cheers to everybody celebrating July Fourth when it comes. Here's to freedom, and here's to everlasting peace. Peace. At the same time, you ready? One, two, three. I think that harmonized. We'll have to check with uh, Tim Gullick's run to see if I'm I'm right there. All right. I'm only here for perfect pitch. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>